It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. A week removed from NCAA sanctions, but that is still what dominates the news every day here in Columbia. Gabe DeArmond, Mitchell Forty here. And if I know anybody in the Rivals Network, who is familiar with NCAA proceedings and appeals. It is my friend Neil McCready from rebelgrove.com, covers Ole Miss. And, Neil, have you guys dealt at all with the NCAA over the last few years? No. Uh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> so, hadn't, 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 that, that topic is not – I've been on the Ole Miss beat for 11 years, which is difficult for me to believe and sometimes uh, depressing for me to ponder. <laughs> but um, – I've spent more than half of that time, as crazy as this sounds, more than half of that time dealing with NCAA stuff. It started in 2012 with what was supposed to just be like a women's basketball uh, issue that was kind of self-contained. It was bad, but it was all self-reported and contained, and we all sort of thought it would be kind of dealt with quickly and harshly, and then that would be the end of it. And uh the thing wrapped up for good basically around Thanksgiving of, of this past year. So, I mean, we're talking about no joke. We're talking about a six year process um, involving a school that, that started out. And you guys know this word well with the strategy of exemplary cooperation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got to punish those kids who were in seventh grade when, uh, when this thing started, but before we get into kind of the process and what Missouri fans can expect, just, what was your reaction last Thursday when you started seeing the penalties uh, for Missouri and, and what had happened? Well, I mean, I've known from a distance that Missouri was a cheating, dirty program. And <laughs> I, I was, I was, I mean, it's been pretty obvious that uh, you win at the level that they won, and you recruit kids like Drew Locke that you're cheating like mad. <laughs> and, and I'm not surprised. Um, you know, I've read both of y'all's writing. I'm not surprised that you had to go out and hire a bunch of academic tutors just to get stuff done. No, I mean, look, <laughs> in, in, in all seriousness, I was surprised. I really didn't know there was an investigation. Um, I mean, I guess I'd heard you mention it before, Gabe, but I, I didn't think much of it. And then you, you read about postseason bans and stuff like that, and, and it, it smacked of yet another NCAA overreach. And I, I tell people this all the time because Ole Miss people are understandably paranoid. And they say things such as the NCAA would never do this to Georgia. The NCAA would never do this to Alabama. And respectfully, while I understand their frustration, certainly, I disagree with them. I think the NCAA would love to do this to every Southeastern Conference team, to every Power Five school. These are these are ideologues. These are guardians of the game. These are these are these are idiots, um, and, and and they have no common sense. They have no ability to parse through things and come to a common sense resolution. And I mean, you guys have dealt with it a lot more than I have. I just read it and I thought, oh, yeah, there, there they go again. Another another dramatic overreach. It's like the Ole Miss case, guys. The first NOA against Ole Miss. The one that um, was reported uh, by Mitchell's dad. It was the one that broke the story. Um, so that was February, early February of 16. That that first NOA was a really solid document. Everything in that document was 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 accurate. Um, 
it was it was well done. It was solid. They were going to hit Ole Miss, but it wasn't going to be this prohibitive two-year bowl ban thingy. But what it boiled down to is that the NCAA didn't have enough of what it wanted. So it basically went out and made it up. Went out and made it up. Ole Miss's second document. Gabe, you know me. I mean, people that want to call me an Ole Miss homer, there's just nothing to support that. Right. The second, the second document against Ole Miss is it's, it, it, it's iffy at best. It's fraudulent. Uh, at worst, it's uh, they used they, it. It was it was an awful example for me. It was the end of of any trust that I had in the, in the organization. Not because they did it to Ole Miss, but because they could do that to anyone. They could just essentially go out and manufacture evidence, and that's exactly what they did. And it's why if you're Missouri and you're putting a whole lot of hope into some significant appellate relief. God bless you. I mean, I hope you win. I do. I'm for you, but I'm betting against you. I, I, I think I think the system is fixed. I think it's rigged. And if you get appellate relief, it's going to come so far down the line that it's really not going to matter. So, Neil, uh, obviously the, the Ole Miss, you know, kind of original violations were a little bit different from Missouri's. They, they dealt more with recruiting uh, than Missouri's is academic fraud. But uh, well, it, you, well, let me interrupt you real quick. Actually, right. <laughs> if you go back and look at it, what got them started on Ole Miss was – and this is where, you know, your dad and I had, had some online spats about this. If you go back and, and look at it, the beginning of Ole Miss's case had to do with academic fraud that occurred while Houston Nutt was the coach. It, it goes back that far. It had to do with ACT fixing for some kids from South Florida um, and, and a kid out of Memphis. It, it had to do with, uh, with just that. It, 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 so it absolutely started with academic fraud, and then it expanded into some recruiting stuff but if you look at the recruiting stuff in Ole Miss's first NOA it's like $700 to Laramie Tunsil's stepdad after he was already here it's keeping a loaner car too long it's it's little stuff it's again it's it's a complete lack of common sense and it's the NCAA deciding at times that hey we want to get a program we're going to get a program and we'll, we'll do what it takes to get that program Right. So kind of where, where my question is going is, you know, the, the specifics of the violations may be a little different, similar, more similar, I guess, than, than I realized. But the Ole Miss kind of case in their appeal was, I think, similar to what Missouri is going to argue in that the NCAA, the COI abused its discretion. Um, you know, given your experience kind of watching this appellate process, uh, what what kind of was Ole Miss's argument and how the, the NCAA abused its discretion because as you mentioned Ole Miss you know it, its strategy like Missouri was to cooperate and, and what do you think you know if anything could could change from Missouri's appeal well you know I, I haven't read the entire document obviously and I don't even know if Missouri has completely finished its document but I'm sure what they're going to say is that there's no precedent that they overreached that uh, they did cooperate that they're encouraged to cooperate. They did cooperate. And, you know, it, it is certainly uh, likely, if not definite, that there were people at Missouri who had no idea that this happened. And once they found out, they, they did self-report and all of those things. So Ole Miss's case was everybody focused. Ole Miss kind of won, sort of, kind of sort of won on its appeal because so many people focused on the bull band because 
that's what we do in sports. We talk about postseason and stuff. Ole Miss, they appealed the bowl ban, but they never really expected to have any success in, in getting the bowl ban re- reversed. And, and frankly, I mean, they went, what, five and seven a year ago. Had they won one more game, you know, I guess the bowl ban would have cost them a shot at the the Birmingham Bowl or the <laughs> Independence Bowl or the maybe even the Liberty Bowl because of the proximity or whatnot. And nothing against those games or whatnot, but, the, you know, they, they, they don't matter. I mean, the moment that the Missouri-Oklahoma State Liberty Bowl game ended, um, it, it was over. Nobody cared. I mean, literally within seconds. <laughs> you mean outside of my message board? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, outside of a message <laughs> right. board. But I, mean, but, I mean, the truth is if you could go – you could go to anybody outside of the Missouri and Oklahoma State fan bases and say who played in the Liberty Bowl this year, and nobody would nobody would have a clue. Mm-hmm. So my, my point is is that what Ole Miss was most concerned about was the NCAA and its penalty put in these uh, what would have been groundbreaking uh, recruiting restrictions that would have limited the number of times that a, a, a prospect could take an unofficial visit to campus to one per year, not including camps. So if a kid came to a junior day, he wouldn't be able to come to a game, you know, and, and, and get one of the prospect tickets and all that stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, everybody knows that. With... So Ole Miss, is, Ole Miss looked at that. It was like a three-year stipulation, and they thought, oh, my God. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's how you shut a program down. I mean, that is how you cripple a program. And uh, they appealed that, saying that there was nothing in the legislation to support that. There was no precedent to support that. And uh, and they ultimately won. And that's why when, you know, Ole Miss, when the appeal was, was done, was finalized in November, everybody outside highlighted the, you know, um, the bowl, the, the, the bowl restriction was, was maintained. And Ole Miss was, was celebrating the fact that that, uh, stipulation was completely thrown out, and that as soon as the the Mississippi State game was over, I mean, literally that moment, they went back to being a regular football program again for the first time in several years. So, I mean, I, I suspect Missouri's argument will be that there is stuff in that in that uh, in in the sanctions that are unprecedented that can't be supported by NCAA bylaws and. Whether they win or not, I don't know. I saw where Mitchell had a story that you know they. I think you quoted an attorney that said you know that all of the stuff can you know can be supported by the sort of arcane NCAA. Um, the Matrix, yeah, yeah. the Matrix, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, we talked about Matrix for so long that I, I sometimes I just got lost. I mean, Ole Miss would say, "Well, here's the penalty Matrix." Yep. And it's just, and again, it's that whole deal with for me as a person who thinks I have a good, decent amount of common sense, I, I don't really think, I don't think the matrix was designed to do what it's doing to, to these programs. It's, it's the people who are paying the price for transgressions are not the people who committed the transgressions. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think the NCAA was designed what it's to do what it's doing to these programs, but Here's So the main thing that I've taken out of this, whatever happens with the appeal is going to happen, but the main thing I've taken out, and I was stunned when basically the guy who led the investigation against Missouri, you know, he said, yeah, I, I can see how you'd make that argument, is the message that's being sent, if this is all upheld to me, is if the NCAA comes to your campus, 
don't cooperate. Like, yeah, you might get this little plaque you can hang on the wall that says we cooperated, but that's like getting the participation award at field day. Nobody, nobody cares. So I, I'm curious if Ross Bjork or anybody at Ole Miss has told you, you know, whether it's on, off the record, anything, if they've said at any point since that thing ended, you know what we should have done? We should have just told them we weren't going to help them. Well, let me put it this way. I don't want to get into what people have said to me off the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that if the NCAA arrived on the Ole Miss campus today looking to launch an investigation, I think the first thing that Ole Miss would do would be to lawyer up with uh, aggressive attorneys who take off their gloves before the fight even starts. Um, I think the second thing they would do is they would uh, go out and buy every shredder within uh, within 100 miles <laughs> There, every phone would be uh, at the bottom of the Mississippi River within an hour, and uh, and their official response would be somewhere along the lines of "No habla inglés," <laughs> and uh, yeah, they they would absolutely handle it differently. Um, you know, their argument, and it's valid, is that they did cooperate fully at first and had everything stopped with the February. 2016 letter, their um, their strategy probably would have been a good one. But when the NCAA decided shortly thereafter that, nope, we don't have enough, we're going to go dig for more, and we're not going to tell Ole Miss we're doing it, which is absolutely inside the bylaws of, hey, you know, this is a – we all got into this together, we stay in this together, we, we, we investigate together. Well, the NCAA got away from that. And at that point, the Ole Miss officially realized that, you know, uh-oh – we're adversaries. We're not partners in this. They're, they are out to get us. They want to get Hugh Freeze. They want to get this program. Um, they're, they're gonna, they want to get Barney Farrar. They're going to do what they have to do, and it's time to fight. And then that's hard because you've started years of exemplary cooperation, and Ole Miss was cited for not cooperating because they finally went, <laughs> nah, screw it. We're, I mean, it's just the whole deal, man, is nuts. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Leo Lewis sits in a room in Covington, Kentucky, and admits that, yeah, I, I took money from Mississippi State. I'll tell you how much I took, and I'll tell you who paid me. And it's a junior college coach whose father's of one of his college teammates, and the NCAA goes, yeah, it's a problem for us. You know what? Y'all have known each other for a while. It was a pre-existing relationship. Next. And, and that's when Ole Miss realized, man, the fix is in. That's what Ole Miss would tell you privately is that they got screwed, that, that – not not by the initial thing that um, they'll they'll tell you privately that that when they when the NCAA turned on them they realized they had made a mistake. So Neil, I, I went back and looked uh, you know at a couple things this morning, and, and one thing I saw was a statement, and I, I honestly don't even know who it was from as a university leader, maybe Ross Bjork. I'm not sure uh, when the when the appeal you know like you mentioned got the recruiting uh, the recruiting restriction overturned, but kind of kept the bull ban in place. He, in a public statement somewhere, said, you know, the NCAA is broken and ill-equipped to handle these types of investigations, similar to some of the stuff we're hearing people around Missouri say now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm just curious if you have a, a sense, and this might just be your opinion, of, of what, what point do maybe these, you know, th- these athletic directors and people around colleges who are saying this, you know, at what point do they have enough momentum to try to actually do something to, to either, you know, drastically reform the way the NCAA investigates these things or, or, or try to, you know, strike out and do their own thing? 
that's what I've been waiting for for a long time. When are they going to have the courage and the common sense to say this doesn't work and 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 completely break away? I, I keep waiting for the Power Five schools to break away, form their own uh, subset, their own government, whatever word you want to use, their own set of laws, their own set of rules, get away from what is an archaic system, uh, allow sponsorships. I mean, is anybody is anybody truly hurt if if Drew Lock endorses a Mercedes? dealership in kansas city or st louis i mean really is anybody impacted is anyone going to not go to the the missouri games that was going to go before i mean it's i don't think based on what i experienced covering the ncaa case i don't think that the ncaa as an entity the people that are in indianapolis i don't think they get it i think they're completely out of touch i don't think it's fixable I think the only answer is to eventually break away from it. I think it's a corrupt organization. Um, I think this FBI case that's going on right now is going to ultimately prove just how corrupt they are. Because for the NCAA, they always say, well, you know, we can't, we can't get the documents. Well, you can now. They're in a court of law. And uh, you can go get those documents. They're not going to punish Kansas basketball. They're, they're, they're not going to they're, they're not going to shut – they're not going to go out and – and, and, and take 15, 20 basketball programs and say you're ineligible for the NCAA tournament because that impacts their bottom line. They, they're going to continue to, to, to piecemeal investigations and selectively prosecute. Guys, they have no credibility. And, and once you deal with them for a little while, you realize just how corrupt they are. All right, so last thing for you, Neil. Uh, Jim Sterk has said that this bowl ban could theoretically cost Missouri – eight to $9 million because mm-hmm. basically when you're yeah. not eligible for a bowl, you don't get any of the sec's money. Um, yeah. as, as, as evidence last week, I mean, when the sec distributed $43 million, their buddy Ole Miss got 35. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, and I don't know what financial shape Ole Miss's athletic department is in Missouri's is in awful shape. They're losing money already. How big of a factor was that for Ole Miss? This, where do we replace this $8 million? If I tell you that I'm going to reduce your income by 25%, are you happy? <laughs> Not thrilled, no. I mean, you know, it's, it's bad. It, it, I mean, Ole Miss, they, they had a what they called a rainy day fund. I have a hard time believing it was $17 million worth. Yeah. Now, they caught a little bit of a break when they got to fire Hugh Freeze and not pay him a nickel. Um, you know, he was due about $17 million, so you can do the math, but they still had to pay other coaches and stuff, so it was still a loss. It's uh, – it was a hell of a punishment. It'll take them years to recover financially. No question about it. In the same way that if Missouri loses eight, nine million dollars, it's it's that's not the kind of loss that you go, oh, well, ho hum, we'll we'll figure it out. No, it's a major loss, and it, it it ultimately will affect the way that decisions are made in Columbia for a couple of years, I would think. I mean, look, these are the SEC is a, a huge money maker, and um, I think the way the rule works is. Once Missouri proves that it can be a good little boy for the next several years and not have another investigation, they'll get like half the money back or whatever. It's been okay. put in escrow or something, but it's still, it, it, it impacts your ability to, to operate and compete, and um, it's, it's ridiculous. All right, man. Well, we appreciate it. I know we could go like an hour and just say, <laughs> hey, please talk about how dumb the NCAA is because we've done that privately before, but uh, appreciate your time. We'll catch up. Yes, sir. Talk to you all soon. All Thanks, right, Neil. Thanks. Neil McCready, rebelgrove.com. And look, I mean, he he is very anti-NCAA, but he's also dealt with this, I think, this process that we're about to deal with, and and you come out of it very jaded. Um, 
I don't know if you come out of that as a Missouri <laughs> fan thinking, oh, my God, this is awful, or actually somewhat encouraged that, like, theoretically, and I honestly didn't know this until he said it, Ole Miss kind of won their appeal. Yeah. But the thing is, even when you win, you lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, kind of Jaden, kind of Jaden, slight, slight uh, yeah. understatement. I mean, yeah. I, we like Neil. Uh, I think a lot of people will be thrilled to hear his, you know, the the talk of the NCAA being corrupt. We get a lot of that on our message board. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm not, of course, we're at the beginning of our investigation, so ask me when it's over. I don't know if I'm ready to say they're corrupt, but out of touch with reality, yes. like you said, absolutely. I uh, I thought Joe Wall Jasper had a great line in his column last week when he compared the violation matrix to the two-point conversion chart and that it, <laughs> takes, it just removes all ability for critical thinking and actually yeah. looking at what happened. Um, so I thought that was great. I think that's kind of the root problem here is just like, you know, if if one tutor who wasn't found to have, you know, acted under direction of a superior warrants the highest punishment in the matrix, what are the are the basketball yeah. programs theoretically going to get? So, yeah, uh, that was good. Enjoyed hearing from Neil. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, like you said, Missouri could theoretically get one or two of these sanctions removed and that would be good i mean like i think probably that's the best case scenario but they're still going to lose a lot of money and like you said for this athletic department that's a huge deal or they're going to get the money back and not be able to recruit like an sec school i think it's kind of one or the other they're not because the best thing i saw about this last week somebody tweeted an appeal to the ncaa is the equivalent of your mom grounding you and then you going and asking your dad to reverse (laughs) it like Maybe he will if they don't like each other, but most likely he's going to side with your mom. Yeah, you yeah, know. Absolutely. So, so uh, before we we move on to talk a little bit about signing day, which against ev- what everyone actually knows did happen yesterday. Um, so we talked about this a little bit before we started, and the financial hit is huge for Missouri. I would love to see the breakdown of why Missouri is losing so much money. I mean. They were making somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 million their last year in the Big 12. I, 57 maybe at the high end, but I'm almost positive it was under 60. They made $103 million last year, and they're losing money. I don't get it. Yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of small things you can point to, but I just don't see how they make up that much money. Right. I mean, the South End Zone Project's obviously a big expenditure. But they still haven't even paid that off. Like, that's beyond yeah. what they are yeah. losing. Uh, travel obviously costs more, but it shouldn't cost nearly that much more. Right. Uh, you know, just generally, you'd probably have, you know, more staffing in an athletic department in the SEC and to, you you know, due to inflation, pay everyone a little bit more. But, like, I, I don't get it either. And, uh, you know, we are possibly maybe meeting with Jim Sterk at some point in the near future. Um, you know, that'll certainly, I'm sure that the finances will be, you know, something he's asked about and, and we'll have a report on that. But yeah, it's, you know, to, to lose 8 million after you already lost, what was it, like two or 3 million this yeah. past fiscal year, that's obviously, I mean, something's going to have to change. Right. And the, the problem is what we said, like they've got to get more people in that football stadium. That's the only place they're making up more money other than getting more donors. And their pitch currently appears to be, please sign up. Yeah. Like, please give us money. Um, you know, so there needs to be something beyond that. So uh, that's the NCAA stuff. And look, like, I feel like we're kind of belaboring this every day, but this is the story around Missouri. Like, there's really nothing else that that is this big. So National Signing Day, like, kind of was yesterday. I now view the first Wednesday in February kind of like the supplementary draft in the mm-hmm. NFL. Like, there's a couple guys that gets picked, get picked, but nobody really knows it happened. Um yeah. 
I don't know. Missouri needed two defensive ends, and they got two defensive ends. So I guess they did what they wanted to do. Yeah, it was nice for us. We were done by 9.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. That was good. Uh, the Missouri, they, they filled a couple holes. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, I think everyone just outright dismissing these guys as, you know, backup plans. Like, they're not, they're not wrong that they weren't the first choices. But, like, you, you, you've seen decent players come yeah. out of this. Like, Tyler Beatty was signed late last year whatever. It's 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 possible they'll and play And Cy Martin, like, he can uh, play next year. Yeah. That's the so expectation. Like, they got a couple players. It was not uh, a big deal in part because, you know, I mean, Missouri didn't really market it as a big deal either. So, yeah, it happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's about <laughs> it. And it's funny, like, this is – I think you started about signing day last year. So, yeah. you never covered what it used to be. But, I mean, for 14 years, I would spend three weeks getting ready for this. And it was a 5 a.m. to – 10 p.m. day and it was this big deal and it just it's so weird and I think it I I guess it's not necessarily worse like whatever now the big deal is in December there's still a big deal but I think it's worse for college football because in December we're still talking about college football Mm -hmm. we're already talking hey bowl games are coming up national title all this so like recruiting kind of is on the back burner, whereas when recruiting was the first Wednesday in February, when that was National Signing Day, everybody had been without football news at all for a month. And all of a sudden there was this day where football was the national story. And other than the diehard, you know, recruiting geeks who used to get Dave Campbell's Texas football magazine <laughs> and read every page of it, like yesterday, that was not the big story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, one, you're, you know, you're splitting up some of the big day like you know february there i mean the uh the december the early signing period is still big but one it happens over the course of a couple of days and two right. not everyone signs because some people wait till the late signing day and then yeah like you said like in december we're, we're getting ready for you know the college football playoff so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i don't know i i, I think like you know it, it for individual programs like a lot of them can use this as as pos- positive uh publicity in in the off season um for you know the sport as a whole like i, I don't know that you know having not having this this day in, in February really how much it hurts but like you know I mean like Missouri right now could really I mean like they could use some 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 good news like you think? it, it yeah. would have been nice maybe if they signed you know Kelly Bryant like a couple weeks before this signing day and not right. the last one so yeah now I actually think for Missouri this year though the early signing period was yes. great because no yeah absolutely all those kids were signed before this came yes, out but yes so here's my and again I don't know if solutions the right word because I don't know that it has to change But here's what I would like to see and what I wanted to see before they even did this early signing period. Put the early signing period on August 1st, Mm -hmm. before fall camp opens, before any of that. Tell those kids that want to sign then, you don't get official visits. Like, you don't get to go take five trips. The official visits start in September. If you sign in August, you get one official visit to the school you signed with. But if you know where you want to go by August 1st, just do it then. Yeah. And then recruiting is just the same. Yeah. And signing day in February is a big deal again. Yeah. The one thing I think you'd have to do in that scenario is, you know, for those kids who signed on August 1st, if, if the coach gets fired, you got to be able to oh, open yeah. it back up for but them. But you can already do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You know, if you sign in, like a lot of kids sign in December and a coach a coach gets fired after December 20th right. and, and they can open that up. So to me, that's what makes sense. It also relieves some of the – the stuff on these coaches of just there is not a day off in the mm-hmm. recruiting calendar unless the NCAA tells you you have to take 49 <laughs> of them off then then there is but you know I I just again I don't know if it has to change but I liked it the old way better than this I I don't know if it's necessarily a lot better for anybody the way it is now than it used to be mm-hmm. so there you go um I don't know basketball like they played yeah. Tennessee was like 
there's no moral victories. This is big boy basketball. You go to win the game. But I, I thought coming out of the Auburn game, I thought Vanderbilt and Tennessee went about as well as they could have hoped. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, beat Vanderbilt and, and kept it close against Tennessee. And, and I mean, like, really, you know, t- like, it, it wasn't like, you know, Tennessee played awful. Like, there was a few right. times where, you know, that you, they looked like they were they were about to make a run for sure, and Missouri would just kind of answer. And obviously, you know, without without Mark Smith and certainly without Jonte Porter, I, I think we both expected that to be like a more like a thirty point loss yes. than a ten point loss. So I, yeah, I mean, I picked twenty six, and I was only doing that to be kind. I thought it would be worse. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, number one team in the country, you you always pencil that in as a loss. You know, it. it 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 was, but yeah. but yeah, they played well, and uh, they've got a few winnable games coming up. So you know, if they, especially if they get Mark Smith back, but also if they they keep playing like they did the other day, yeah, and there are no must win games for a team like Missouri. Right, like the right. ceiling is seventeen wins in yeah. NIT. So I'm not going to term anything a must win. But if this team is going to reach kind of what that ceiling is. These next two games, A&M at home, Arkansas at home, have to be wins. So, best-case scenario for me, you go beat A&M. By the way, I was told yesterday, Jeremiah Tillman's fine. He should Mm -hmm. practice today. So, that's good. You go beat A&M without Mark Smith. You get Mark Smith back for Arkansas and win that game. That would be the perfect next few days for Conzo Mark. Yeah, definitely. And like I was actually I was kind of thinking about this last night. Like what is there even like a, you know, a goal for this team? Like I want you wonder if the players even have like something like, man, we'd really like to make the NIT or something like that. Right. And like, like if so, then of course these have to be these are must win games, but really more important right now is just like, you know, getting kind of guys established and and playing and correcting bad habits for the future. And, you know, I mean, like, Xavier Pinson played, like, 33 minutes the other night. Like, that was really encouraging. I thought he played pretty well. He's been doing better since he was in the doghouse a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, that's encouraging. Javon Pickett's been really good. Torrance Watson's been been better lately. So, like, that that's really more important than winning these games at this point. Okay, so last thing, and we're going to stay on basketball, and you might not be the perfect 25-year-old to ask this because your dad did go to school at Mizzou and, and all that. Did you know a week ago who Derek Chivas was? I did, I did, yeah, but okay. mostly because of my father. He was at in school at the same time as Derek Chivas, and Derek Chivas's wife works in the athletic department right. at Missouri. Um, I interacted with her a couple times, and you know, heard about him through her. But but yes, I, I think if it if I I mean certainly if I had not gone to school here, even maybe if I had gone to school here and not had the father I have, I probably wouldn't have known. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would bet that the vast majority of kids in school, like, I don't know, 80, maybe 90% are like, who's that guy? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so anyway, he's getting his number retired this weekend. And, I mean, Derek Chivas was, he was what made me a college sports fan. He was in school from 84 to 87, or 84 to 88, I guess. Uh, I was, you know, 8 to 12 years old. So, Here's the most unbelievable stat about Derek Chivas, and I think this is right. In one season, he made 244 free throws. That is approximately, back then they played about 30 games, so that's approximately seven to eight, eight to nine free throws a game. Missouri's leader this year in free throws made has 62. <laughs> I mean, like Derek Chivas, went, he made more free throws than anyone else in school history has ever attempted. Yeah. Missouri could use that. Yeah, absolutely. Also, it makes you think for those people who claim that the uh, that the officials are you know greatly <laughs> ruined and changed the game. Maybe it's not as different. I don't know. I wasn't around yeah. back then. Well, Derek Chivas's his his signature move was that 
he would shoot a jump shot at like a 40 degree angle. <laughs> he he would come in about 15 feet and he would just lean forward like 40 degrees into the other player and he would go to the free throw line yeah. every single time. It seems hard to do, but yeah. he did it. Um I we could we could go on with fans. I'm I'm sure fans will have responses to this, but for my money Derek Chivas is the best basketball player that has ever played at the University of Missouri, just as a college. Like, it didn't work in the NBA. Um, I think you could put Steve Stepanovich in the discussion. You could put Anthony Peeler in the discussion. You could maybe put Willie Smith in the discussion. But I think those are, uh, like, the top four. Maybe Doug Smith rounds out the top five. But Derek Chivas, man, I it, it is. I, I texted the SID the other day. And I said, Derek Chivas has not done interviews since, I think, really since he left Missouri. Wow. Uh, he And, look, the fact that it's taken 30 years to retire his number, I don't know exactly what it is. But the relationship wasn't great between Missouri and Chivas. So I said, if we can get Derek Chivas sometime between now and the night his number gets retired, I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're set for the year. That's, that, that is our new goal. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be exciting. I'll I'll have to uh to study up before then. Yeah, just just have your dad email you some some thoughts <laughs> on uh, on the band aid man, and yeah. and Missouri should also hand out band aids at that game. That would be uh, awesome <laughs> on on February nineteenth against Kentucky. I I'm not sure that's the night I would have done. It. Like it's probably <laughs> going to be close to sold out anyway because Missouri fans that don't know anything about basketball are going to go. Oh, Kentucky's playing. I'll go to right, that. Right. And Kentucky's going to bring four thousand fans, and, and it won't they're be probably close. not going to win. <laughs> uh, I might have done this for like the Georgia game or yeah, something. Yeah, that like sounds that. like a better idea. You know, but whatever. Nobody asked me, so uh, I don't know. You got anything else? No, not really. I watched actually. Yeah, I watched. I watched uh, Vashon play CBC last oh, yeah. night. Saw Mario McKinney, Mizzou commit, and then Mizzou twenty twenty targets uh, Caleb Love and and Cameron Fletcher. It was a it was a pretty good game. It was crowded. McKinney was was the best best player on the floor in my opinion. Like he's going to. There's going to be a few times that he's going to absolutely blow Mizzou Arena roof off with some yeah. of his dunks. I mean, I I have definitely never seen a guard get off the floor like him. I watched Jimmy play at or I'm sorry, Mario play a couple summers ago at the peach jam and i came away thinking this kid is a freak athlete i don't know if he's a good basketball player yeah like do you feel like there's been progress made like is he also a good basketball player and of course he's good he's got a division one scholarship but you know what i mean yeah it's hard to say like he he showed some skills last night it's hard to say like you know, when when he's playing against guys that are bigger than right. him and maybe close to his athletic, how like if he can actually like blow by some of these guys. His shot looked fine last night. He he needs to work on his ball handling for sure, and he just seemed out of control sometimes. Um, but but yeah, I mean, like I I think he can help. I mean, just bring him off the bench, put him at the two or even like the three because mm-hmm. he can rebound. I think he, he had several rebounds last night, including a couple putbacks. Um, and, and let him just run and jump yeah. and like throw down a dunk and just get get some energy in the game like he he can absolutely do that from day one he'll have some some work to do probably defensively and with his ball handling but but yeah I mean like he he has a a role in a division one program for sure yeah I think he's definitely an energy guy the one thing I'll say I was encouraged about watching him a couple years ago like he got to the rim every single time he wanted to he may not be an elite ball handler but like Nobody kept him out of the lane. Yeah, his first step's very quick. And, and I think I think part of the out-of-control thing, like he's built a lot like Jimmy was. Like his arms and legs are far too long for a guy that's <laughs> six foot one, and he's skinny, so he's just this wiry guy with limbs flying all over the place. So he looks out of control when maybe he actually isn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had several – he had quite a – he had a few – 
quite a few turnovers, I think, off the dribble last night. Yeah. And and also it was it was a uh, I mean it was a total transition game. Both teams were pressuring the other. But but yeah, I mean like yeah, I mean he he he's not there yet. Not many college or high school prospects right. are. Uh, so, but I, no, I, I mean, he has some skills that will directly translate to, to college. And then, uh, Fletcher and, and Love were fine. Love, Love was pretty good. He, he is clearly, you know, the guy on CBC's team. They don't have a ton of help. And so they're, for the most part, the game plan seemed to be, you know, get him the ball and let him get fouled or go to the rim and score. Uh, he, he's, he was definitely a guy who was just, you know, he was good off the dribble. He could, he got, drew a lot of free throws. He could get his own shot. Fletcher is just all potential right now. Uh, he's like probably about six, seven, insanely long arms, can jump out the gym and is still just not super skilled on offense. He, he made a couple jump shots, but his, his coach, Tony Irons told me, you know, he's, he's, his ball handling has some work. His, uh, some, his post post moves need some work, but like just his potential. I mean, he's the type of guy that all college coaches right now are drooling over and that he can play basically two through four. Yeah. And Mitchell had a story on, uh, on camera Fletcher this morning on the site. And I assume you talked to McKinney and love and stories on them in the next few days too. Come, yep. That's right. All right, so there you go. Um, we've covered it. By the time you this podcast is posted, again, it's like the ice apocalypse that never happened in <laughs> Columbia, really. There is a little bit of ice. We think we're talking to Jim Sterk uh, later today. I don't, I don't frankly expect anything to come out of it. I think he's just going to say all the things he said last week again, and I think that's kind of how the next three to nine months are going to go at Missouri. But it's important for Missouri to keep a public face, to keep the public pressure on about this. So anything that comes out of that, we'll have. Um, I don't know. I guess next week we start talking about a 2020 recruiting. So there we go. Ooh, yeah, exciting. Not ready for it yet, but <laughs> we'll get there. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week on the PowerMizzou.com podcast.